Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You are listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with your sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is Lou Imbriano. Lou serves as president and CEO of Trinity One, a marketing strategy and business advisory consultancy that works with organizations to turn around their marketing efforts and increase profitability through building stronger consumer ties and more trustworthy brands. Formerly as the Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of the New England Patriots and the Gillette Stadium for nine seasons and Chief Operating Officer for the New England Revolution for three seasons, Embriano built powerful relationships that allowed the organization to achieve an increase in revenue by more than 100%. Lou, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, man. How's everything? Everything is great, Lou, and I'm excited to have you on the program today, mainly because of your background. Uh, I was in broadcast, and, and you were in broadcast, and uh, I think sometimes uh, being in broadcast gives you a, a pretty good rounding uh, to do almost anything in sales and marketing. I don't know if that was your experience, but uh, broadcasters tend to move pretty fast and promote pretty hard. I think it's a great training ground for any industry, and if it wasn't for my uh, background in radio and television, I don't think I would have been. Uh, I don't. First of all, I don't think I would have uh, went into football and the NFL and worked for the Patriots. It really does. I mean, and then when I was running marketing for the Patriots, I hired a bunch of guys from TV and radio to be on my sales force. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. One reason we have you on the program is. Um... The release of your book, Winning the Customer, Turn Customers into Fans and Get Them to Spend More. And I think that's the topic, especially given the environment today in terms of whether it's uh, whether you're in B2B sales or you're in B2C sales to the consumer, you're trying to get people to spend more and be loyal to you. Well, one of the challenges, I think, Lou, for people who may run across the book or before they have a chance to get into the book, they're going to look at the title and say, well, gosh, here's this guy who's the former chief marketing officer for the New England Patriots. Man, if there was anything easier to sell on the planet, it had to be the New England Patriots. But, but I know from my own experience that that's probably not true. So how, when, when you wrote this book and put it from the perspective of your experience, uh, was it really that easy to go out and market a, a brand like the New England Patriots? Well, it's funny. You know, everybody thinks we were sitting around taking phone calls and people just wanted to hand us money, and that's definitely <laughs> they were, not the case. They weren't just coming and throwing money at you? <laughs> I, believe me, I wish it was. And, and people don't remember, prior to winning – three championships, and prior to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and prior to a new stadium, the New England Patriots were in the middle of the pack at best in the league, maybe lower. They were they played in a glorified high school stadium. They had Pete Carroll as a head coach. We, were, we didn't win much. We didn't win anything, actually. And we, we weren't viewed as one of the uh, – 
better franchises in the uh, NFL. And then the Crafts took over and and they started hiring people to uh, focus on certain areas. And one of those areas was marketing and me. And, and what I realized when we got there is it was an organization that was very transactional. They used to go out. They used to say to people, hey, buy a sign. Thank you. I'll see you in three years if the, if the brand decided to jump on that. And they were never really helping their partner do business. And that's what we changed. And, that, and that's the whole idea of what winning the customer is about. It's not about selling things. It's about building relationships, finding out what people need, and helping them get it. Once we did, when I started with the team, they were doing about $16 million in revenue. When I left, they were doing 92. And, and to put that in perspective, in that old building with Pete Carroll and, uh, and no championships, we went from $16 million to $24 million just by changing how we operated. So, Lou, just for definition purposes, because I know you straddled both sides of, uh, of sales and marketing, but for our audience, how, how do you differentiate the difference between sales and marketing? Because they're really kissing cousins. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I believe they belong together. Uh, uh, when we, when we uh, started with the team, I only was in charge of marketing. I wasn't in charge of sales, and we brought them under our group. And I do believe there's a harmonious dance between the two, and they, and they fuel and support each other. So I, I think they're the yin and yang of revenue. I don't think they should be separate. I think one person should be running both. And, and quite often when you see a sales organization being run purely by a sales guy, I think they're leaving money on the table. So I, I think they belong together. Uh, how do you see them leaving money on the table? Well, what happens is salespeople are really after their commission and the close. And it's really not about closing business. It's about opening business and about opening the relationship and opening the conversation. And building relationships take a lot longer than asking for money. But if you do it properly and you have the right support behind you and you know how to market it to people and create marketing programs to help people do business, they're going to sell themselves with the relationship that you built. So I, I don't believe that it's about, you know, ABC, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the movie spoiled it for everybody. Always be closing, uh, Alec Baldwin said. Well, that's not true. It is ABC, but it should be always be creating. And, and that's the difference between sales and marketing, creation and selling. In your book, you talk about uh, the revenue game, how to build revenue instead of selling concepts. Tell me more about that. You know, usually when people, uh, when salespeople go out, they just think, oh, you know what? We're a football team, and this brand fits with us, so let me go pitch them uh, signage and other things. So they jump into uh, a meeting. They start pitching the first time they met with somebody. Well, I, I, I ask you, how do you know what a brand needs? If you don't talk to them, ask them questions, and find out what they're all about. There's a process in the revenue game, and it's not just asking for money. It's going through different steps and making sure that you understand who the prospect is, what their industry is about, who their target audience is. That's the easy stuff. But then really meeting with them and finding out what are their goals, what are their needs, what do they want to accomplish. And then once you know that, 
creating something to help them do that. If you if you can help people do business, why are they going to say no to you? You know, if it makes sense, if, if you're going to give them a, a huge return on investment, they'd be foolish not to do so. That had to be kind of a radical new thought when you went to the New England Patriots. Well, it was definitely, I definitely met some resistance from the old school uh, salespeople who were there because they honestly believed that they, they would just pick up a phone, call people, um, have them buy a sign, and when they didn't, they'd move on to the next one. Well, what if the sign didn't work, but what if there was five other things that the Patriots had that did work? They were squandering the relationship. And, and so what I believe is there's no such thing as, as a, a relationship that doesn't fit. There's relationships that click quicker. You may, you may meet somebody, and they may fit into what you're doing in a month. It may take 18 months. It may take two years. I'm still working on a client that I, I, I've been talking to for three years. I'm not giving up because eventually there'll be a fit. And if I'm honest and I understand what they need, then eventually we'll find a fit. So, Lou, when you were adding to your staff, what did you look for? So a lot of folks look at resumes and they look at experience and they look at what people have done. And, and quite frankly, I don't really care about that. I really care more about the character of a person and what they're all about and, and how they understand how to work together with people. So I really look for folks who are, you know, and it may sound cliche, but who are honest and who were loyal and who just would be crazy hard working and, and had an insatiable appetite to work. And, and, you know, people who were smart folks who maybe didn't have the experience that, that um, other folks had in the NFL but were, were going to work so hard that they were going to give you the best effort. And, and that's where we, we really look for. And, and people think that teamwork is all about putting the, the right people in the right spot and, and having everybody cover for each other. It's not true. It's finding great people who know how to do their role and their role first. And, and uh, that's what it's all about. You also talked to the point of uh, designing a business operations model that, that's built for revenue. Uh, what's your insight on that? Well, the structure of an organization really is the foundation to revenue. It's not the... Uh, it's not the commercials that you see on television. It's not the sales or pitchmen. It really is how you're structured. Because once you bring in revenue, you really need multiple bodies and people supporting whatever program it is or, or that relationship. That's what's going to grow the relationship further down the line. Um, what happens quite often is a salespeople closes a deal, they get the money, and you know, I'll see you in three years. But when you have the right structure and you understand how to uh, work with folks and give them what they need, it, it just allows you to grow organically uh, much more rapidly. And we, and we all know it's easier to keep the business that you have than it is to get new business. Yet most organizations put 80% of their resources into new business, and they really – not paying attention to uh, the business that they have and, and the opportunity they have within uh, uh, the partnerships they already obtain. So when you look at a potential client or a prospect that becomes a client of yours, 
typically, uh, what structure or components do you see missing that you advise them to shore up? So, um, quite often, uh, you have an organization that's structured in many silos, and and there's people who are working hard, but they're not working together. Uh, we try to break down those silos and make sure that people are working synergistically because that's when you're going to be able to accomplish the most. Uh, the second thing is, is many organizations that uh, do not have a strong understanding of their customer base or future customers. And so their database and their database marketing is pretty weak. Now, there's some great companies who do a great job at that, but there's many, many companies who just miss that piece. So understanding the, the customer that you have and having the proper structure is really the beginnings to uh, to building a great company. You talk in your book, there, there's a term you use of promoting to the different P's, the P1 and P2, and you know coming out of the broadcast industry, I, I knew exactly what you're talking about, You know the P1 and the P2 in terms of your audience, but for our audience on this program, as it relates to their particular business, uh, explain to them what you mean by a P1 and a P2. So in radio, and you're, you're absolutely right, I took this concept from radio and I brought it to the NFL, and, and P1s are basically your core, rabid listeners when it comes to radio. Um, and they would do it, you know, they're listening multiple times a day, they're with you all week long. They live, die, breathe, eat, sleep the radio station. Your P2s are not as rabid, but they're still frequent listeners who pay attention to what's going on. They may not be everyday people, but they had multiple times during the week. Well, your customers and fans are similar. So let's look at football first. If you take the P1s and you pretend that they're fans instead of listeners, your P1s in football are core, rabid fans. They, they're, they're the ones wearing the jerseys and painting their face every day in the stadium. They're, they're, they're coming to every game. They're watching every away game on television. They're buying merchandise. And, and those are those crazy, rabid fans. And then, of course, the P2s, are, you know, they may be going to uh, multiple games or season ticket holders. They may not be buying or painting their face the way the others are, but uh, they still are strong uh, fans. Well, in any business, you have these groups of people, and, and you're just not you're not paying attention to them the way we did in radio or in sports. And if you did, you'd really be able to capitalize them. If you're a restaurant, you have P1s, those regular customers that come a couple of times a week. They're spending a lot of money. They're paying. They're, pay, they're asking people to come and, and join in. They're paying lots of compliments. You got your core cool, rabid fans. If you're a restaurateur, you have to identify them and understand how to make other diners become P1s. Because the whole point of the P1, P2, P3, P4 grid is to take P4s and turn them into P3s, and P3s and turn them into P2s, and P2s and turn them into P1s. Lou, in your book, you describe relationship architecture, and it's really a discipline that delivers, which you use an acronym. Share that acronym with our audience. So it's, you know, the, the great thing about this book is I grew up in East Boston. I'm an inner-city kid. I'm, I'm not smarter than anybody. I don't have a Ph.D. I don't have a master's. Don't tell anybody, but I never took a marketing course. And 
the reason why I believe we've done so many great things in, in marketing with our teams and our, our uh, uh, radio stations and, and, and companies that we work with is because we understand that building relationships is not about the way we build relationships in our personal life, uh, about, in which everybody has a best friend. And if you think about how long it took to get that best friend, it could be decades. In business, you don't have the luxury of decades. You have to cut to the chase quicker. But there is a way to build relationships by design as opposed to time. And all it takes is paying attention. If you pay attention to the relationship and tend to its needs the way you would your best friend in life, but instead of over the course of years, you do it in a short period of time, you can still build that same solid relationship. And discipline is just an acronym to help you pay attention every single day. D is dedication. I mean, again, it's not brain surgery. None of the letters in the, in, in the word delivers are going to shock anybody. But are you really paying attention to the relationship and being dedicated to it every single day? You know, enter, are you entertaining? Uh, are you being loyal? Are you investing? And that really is a key letter, investing in the relationship and understanding what the other person wants, what the other company wants. Because you know the golden rule. The golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated, right? Well, I, I don't want to be uh, disrespectful to my elders, but they're wrong. And, and it, it, the golden rule is wrong. It's not about treating others the way you want to be treated. It's treating others the way they want to be treated. And the only way you can truly do that is if you invest into them. And I, I'm not talking about time. I'm talking about understanding what they like, what they dislike, what they want, what they need, what they achieve to be. And the more you know about others, other brands and other companies, the more you can give them what they want. So I, I won't bore you with the rest of the livers. People can uh, check that out in the book. But it, they're all different. Each letter is a, is a, a mechanism to make sure you're paying attention every day to building great relationships. And I love your story in the book. I, I think you called it uh, uh, Corner Store Marketing. Yeah, Marty's Corner Store. Um, uh, at the end of our street was a corner store when I was growing up in the 70s because they didn't have super stopping shops and, and uh, Publix back then. But uh, we would get, uh, you know, I'm eating groceries from this corner store, and, and Marty was this short little Italian guy who didn't have a seventh-grade education. But, man, did he know more about marketing than anybody because when you walked in, he would say, Lewis, how are you? How you been? How's everything? It's been such a long time since uh, I saw you. Your, your sister's been coming to the store, but I'm glad you popped in. I hear you're doing great things in school. And Marty would know all about you and all about your family, and because of that, you trusted him, you believed in him, and you didn't want to go anywhere else. You didn't want to disappoint him. So Marty got that if he invested in, in his customers, it would be harder for them to go to another grocery store, and they would corner stores all over the city. Lou, how much of what is really you consider commonsensical has to do with the fact of, of where you grew up and in the neighborhood you're in and the people you interacted with and the way you got things done when you were younger. Yeah, my whole existence is, is purely common sense. It, it, uh, again, there's so many more people smarter than me 
There's a lot of brilliant people out there, and and all, all I all I am is a, a young kid that grew up in East Boston that knew if I I worked hard and, and I, I gave as much as I can of myself, and I treated people the way they wanted to be treated, as opposed to I want the way I want to be treated. You know, it would be uh, it, it would be an easy go at it, and and. My real master's and Ph.D. came from my grandfather and my grandmother and not in any school book. You're working at the radio station. You're doing an event, and um, Jim Kraft comes along and, and says, hey, hey, why aren't you working for me and the New England Patriots? Did that kind of blow you away at the time that someone like Jim would come along and offer you that? You know, I'd love to tell you it was a shock, but I was so I had so much confidence in what I was doing that I just thought it was the next step. It made so much sense. Um, you know, I, I kind of – I was in programming before I was in marketing at the radio station, and I convinced them to do marketing, and they kind of snickered at me and, and didn't think it was possible. They thought that I was just a, you know, one-trick pony. And, and when I took over marketing, there was no looking back, and we started creating these events. And the sports jam – was the first event in Boston that got every team under one roof and working together. And it was just a magnificent event that the station put together. And we had every team, 16,000 fans came the very first, the very first year. I mean, it was incredible. We made a lot of money. And, and I think Mr. Kraft and, and his son, Dan Kraft saw the power of that. And they wanted to do that. They wanted to build those events for the Patriots. And they figured, you know, you might as well go to a guy who's done it. And, and I, I wasn't surprised. I was thrilled, and I jumped all over it. And so, Lou, you, you leave New England Patriots, go on to another team, and then you decide to go off on your own. Then, as, as they refer to it now, the, the Great Recession comes along. As a new business owner and without the backing of a, an NFL team, if you could just take a couple minutes and explain to our audience what you did in order to innovate, thrive and survive through a recession yeah you know and it was it was a sucker punch to the gut i think for everybody um we came out gangbusters we were working we had a bunch of clients we were working with teams and our model was more about going in helping them generate generating revenue getting a piece of that revenue um and in in 2007 we started morphing a little bit because we saw an opportunity with, you know, working with agencies and working with brands and helping them uh, and consulting with them on sports marketing because we felt that they weren't getting the biggest bang for their buck. So we did an alliance with Arnold Advertising out of Boston. And what happened was uh, we started noticing that 80% of our work was with the teams and the players and the sexy part of the business. And that was 20% of our revenue. And 20% of the work was with the brands and consulting with them. And that was 80% of our revenue. And, and so we started my – we were fortunate. We started migrating to that, that part of the business a little bit before the recession hit. And then the recession hit, and, man, business dried, sponsor, sponsorship business dried up immediately. If we didn't make that move uh, a little bit sooner, we, we probably would have been out of business, and I'd probably be working for another team somewhere. Um, but we did have a few clients in place with contracts. So even though – and there were big brands like Ocean Spray and Fidelity and, and some of Arnold's uh, clients. So we, um, we were able to 
sustain during the tough times, and and it allowed us to, as we lost contracts because of just because once you do do your job, if you do it really well, they don't need you anymore. We started adding some more, and and really we we had a lean. I would say 18 months to two years, but we're, 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 I think we're in a good place now and we're solid and got good cash flow and, and we're building in, in a great way. So uh, it, it, it wasn't easy, but, uh, you know, you have to change and evolve. You can't stay pat if you want to make it through those times. The biggest issue you see facing uh, your customers when you go in today is what? Well, I think they, uh, I think they're too comfortable in how they've always operated, um, and there's a fear to change because they don't want to lose what they have. I mean, um, I liken it to the Great Depression when you know my grandfather was in that, and and my grandfather, as as much wisdom as he brought to me, he was very, he was very afraid and adverse to risk. Um, because of it, because he lived through the Depression. I mean, it was tough times. And I think because of the recession that we had, people are averse to risk and taking chances. So they feel that they're by not making a decision, they're safer than making a wrong decision. And, and I disagree. I think making a wrong decision is better than making no decision at all. And, and, and if we could just get people to, to get out of the paralysis of the recession that has hit us, I think you'll see business starting to grow and boom and, and, and not be stagnant the way it is. And, and you see little spikes here and there, but I think people, the economy frightened them, frightens them so much that they, they, they freeze up again. So we got to stop looking at the, the stock market and start looking at businesses and, and making them better. For the people in our audience today, the one piece of advice you would give them that they could start implementing tomorrow? What would that be? Well, first of all, don't buy into your own ideas because as smart as you think you are, there's better, there's better and brighter people out there. Um, and don't get married to your ideas. The best thing to possibly do is to, to talk to people, su- surround yourself with great people, and, and come up with solutions that maybe not, may not be your idea, and it may not be something that you're, you know, you're so solely sold into, but will fix the problem and, and help companies out. Uh, I find quite often there is 10, 15, 20 solutions to a problem, which your job isn't to find what you like the best. Your job is to find out what the best solution is for the situation in the company that you're with. Lou, is there one question today that I should have asked you that I haven't? Um, well, the only question I would ask me ever is w- what my favorite restaurant is because <laughs> I'm such a foodie. So um, because you're not in Boston, no, there's, there's no question that you didn't ask. But, well, I if I was – I do go to Boston, so I got to know what your, what your favorite restaurant is now. So if you like seafood and you like Italian food, there's a nice combination of Italian seafood in the North End called the Daily Catch. They sit about – 12 people, it's tiny, but it is spectacular. And so if you go to Boston, they make a great, a great everything. Shrimp scampi, shrimp scampi, lobster fried Diablo, all wonderful, tasty dishes. For oh, Thanks for that tip. I, I've actually, I've seen it advertised, but I haven't been there, so I have to look that up. 
Lou, if um, if people wanted to get a hold of you, because you're just not only an author, you do workshops centered around uh, relationship architecture and marketing operations and the new business funnel. So if people wanted more information or wanted to find out more what you could offer, where would they go? Yeah, sure. We do keynote speaking and that whole stuff. I, I have my own website. It's louimbriano.com. Um, if they Google Lou Imbriano, it'll take them right to that as well. So um, that's easy. Uh, Trinity1.com is my uh, is Trinity One's uh, website, and that's Trinity with the number one.com. Lou, thanks for being on the program. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate the, you taking the time to talk to me and uh, and have a great weekend. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z talkradioshow.com. You can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies and how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net.